categorically are making an impact. I remember arguing with my old FD at uh, the previous charity because when I first joined I was furious about something that hadn't worked well and I was not happy about the, the quality of what the team had delivered. And she said, oh, you need to basically, in a, in a nutshell, she's trying to lower your, lower your standards and expectations a little bit. And I was going, but I used to make millionaires out of people that I worked for before using tech. Here I'm demonstrably making a difference to somebody's lives. Why would I want a lower quality of work? Mm. I want a higher quality of work. Coming up on today's show, we're talking to Vince Gatrick. He is the IT director at Mencap. And we're talking about how in the charity sector, where there's 168,000 UK registered charities and resources are so tight, that when you're told to lower the bar of expectation, how frustrated that must make you feel when really you want to deliver the very best service, given that it's something that matters and means so much. My name's David Savage, and this is Tech Talks, the twice-weekly technology podcast talking to leaders from across the industry. So whether you're looking for some peer-to-peer -peer insight or you're just interested and want to find out more, this is the podcast for you. So on today's show, we've got a, a podcast newbie. Hi. <laughs> you're looking quite nervous. A little bit, but I think I'm excited. So. Welcome, welcome to the show, Evie. Thanks. Thanks for having me. First pod. It is. Yeah, but our guest, Vince, is someone that you actually know. So it's, it's like a soft landing. Yeah, yeah, it's a good start, I think. Yeah? I met him twice before. Um, yeah, he's a nice is, guy. Is he like, in reality, do you think, as he was in the podcast? I think so, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. He obviously came across naturally. So if you're going to be on the podcast long term, is there anyone that you think we should specifically book to make sure that your interest levels are kept up in doing the show? So maybe Killian Murphy. I think that's how you say his name. Cillian Murphy. Cillian Murphy. Killian. I don't know whether it's Killian yeah, or Cillian. I'm not really sure. You're probably right. I yeah. tend to get people's names wrong. Maybe it's a it's a strange name to say, but I've been watching a lot of Peaky Blinders recently. Ah. I think he'd be interesting. I like him in Twenty Eight Days Later. I've not seen that actually. You've not seen it? No. Mm, Danny Boyle zombie horror film set in London. Oh no! I've never never seen it before. You've heard of it, right? No. Really? <laughs> no, I've never Danny heard. Boyle, Cillian Murphy, or Killian. Killian, not sure. Kind of makes London look a little bit like it does today, which is a bit desolate and grey. Yeah. Grey. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. It's oh, good. It's I'll got a good it, cast. I'll give it a watch. Naomi Harris, she's yeah. in it. That's a lot lot of famous people then. Yeah. Uh Brendan Gleason, he's in it. Oh. Donald Gleason's dad. Okay. You've done who Donald Gleason is, do you? <laughs> no. Alright, we'll go to the interview. We'll hand over to uh, Vince and then we'll be back with some comments afterwards uh, and then later on in the show I'm going to interview uh, the founder of Market Minds about insurance 3.0 so plenty to stay tuned for but here's Vince. Today we are talking to Vincent you're the IT director at Mencap. I am. Yeah. How long have you been there? About five and a half years just over yep. five and a half years now yeah. Now, I imagine most of our UK listeners will be familiar with MenCap, but we do have some listeners from a little bit further abroad. We, we randomly suddenly picked up an audience in Ghana about a month ago. So for anyone who doesn't know who MenCap is, it'd be great if you could just explain. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of people might know the name or know the brand, but actually probably don't know a lot about what MenCap does. And it's a really interesting distinction as well, because MenCap is... Uh, a learning disability charity or charity for people with learning disabilities and often people confuse that as learning difficulties which is very different learning disabilities is actually um, brain impairment mm -hmm. so limitation of, of the intellect but 
uh, in some cases for work, people we support is physical disabilities as well but we are a learning disabilities charity the largest in the UK um, and we are about just under 9,000 employees so quite a big charity and across England Wales Northern Ireland but not Scotland so but so, not Scotland but not Scotland okay um, now you operate in I don't know how best to describe it but we were talking before we hit record but it's quite a convoluted space but it is a space that people tend to very broadly clump together 168,000 charities in the UK yep pretty much that from if you go on the charity commission website you'll get a, a breakdown of the different charities and how they operate is basically a breakdown of their financial accounts and yeah 168,000 charities so a very broad church mm. um, often clumped together as the charity sector um, and I've operated uh, five and a half years at Mencap um, about four and a half years at a previous charity called United Response, another learning disabilities charity. Uh, in a very short uh, story, I, the job came when I was at United Response, it was very similar, it's all main count as a brand, I thought I've, I've got to go and work here because they're the leader there. So I've known this part of the sector for 10 years, but obviously in that time I've met a lot of people in other charities, but what I've learned is, my God, there's a lot of variety in the charity sector, but we're often all lumped together. So. Mm. Yeah. And for, 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 rightly or wrongly, a lot of the, of the focus in charities tends to go on kids, animals and cancer. Yeah, it's that, it's that motive thing. But particularly, and this is the, the, also for the part that I'm in of the sector, is a lot of the money goes to fundraising. A lot of perception of the, the, the general public is about charities is fundraising mm. which is not wrong it's that it's, it's how you perceive it but actually there's a lot of charitable organizations that you wouldn't think of fundraising so welcome trust for example or um, organizations like mencap where 97 percent of our income is actually through local government contracts so we have a um, over six and a half to seven thousand support workers who are pro providing care and support sometimes 24 seven sometimes in teams three or four because someone has very complex physical and mental needs and therefore they they're not out there shaking tins mm. it's not about that it's um it's, it's there is campaigning but it's actually providing essential services it's almost a version of uh, or a, ver a, a, a part of the government to some extent do you think as well to a certain extent whilst it's fantastic with things like just giving and the ability to spread news through social media everyone's running half marathons, swimathons, yeah. marathons, and there's, there's, there's a huge, I don't want to say fatigue, but one of my friends is CEO of a small charity, and he just ran up a mountain with me and didn't do it to raise money because he'd done so many challenges last year, he didn't feel he could go to his network and ask again. I think you're absolutely right. I think it's it's why also people will have an association and affinity. So animals, say cancer, everybody eventually some point has a connection with mm. cancer and most of us have kids or know of kids, so who doesn't know kids? So there's an association of where your limited money and also empathy can go. Um, and it's a it's it's I it's nothing wrong, it's not a it's not there's nothing negative in society about it, it's just human nature. And for people like Mencap, um, not many people know about learning disabilities. In fact, to be brutally honest, until I joined United Response, 
I didn't know anybody with a learning disability. I didn't know anything about it. So I was as ignorant as the, as, as the next person. And we'll come back to some of the questions that we're kind of thinking of in a, in a second, but that's an interesting point. I mean, why did you join an organisation that you, by your own admittance, you didn't know huge amount about the, what it was doing? Because obviously um, when, you join a, when you join a charity, you imagine it's because someone has that personal connection to it and you want to work for that charity. Um, yes, I mean, and there are people that do that and that's great. Um, Mine was more of a personal moment. I'd worked in the uh, headhunting sector for 11 and a half years mm. and I'd taken a, a career break at the end of the financial crisis because that was impacting uh, the headhunting firm I was at. And it wasn't a career direction I wanted to go and I wanted to do a complete 180 to it. And it was pure serendipity that I met a, a chap, um, a contact I'd met, and he said, oh, I'm, I'm working at this charity. Um, it was radically different from where I was at. Where I was at before, data was essential. We were really advanced in, in a lot of the tech that we use. Uh, huge security conscious, huge reliability, global in, in its reach. And it was, but it's small and boutique. And this chap said, well, actually, um, this is three and a half thousand people. It's a, almost an enterprise. And I just thought, I just want to do something completely different. Test myself completely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, you know, as radically departure as you could get from where I was at before. So it wasn't about the organisation, it was about the opportunity for me. So You touched on data. Yeah. Data's important to everybody now. It is indeed. Um, but building data machines yeah. in, in organisations at any kind of scale costs a hell of a lot of money and takes a hell of a lot of time. As we said there, you're in a, you're in a, in a sector that's highly competitive and although you're the fifth largest um, charity by, in the, employee. By, by, by employee number in the UK, there's not a, a, a bucket load of cash that you can dip into. So what solutions as an IT director have you had to try and think of to go, you know what, if we can't spend a lot to get these services to allow us to move forward, how, how else can we go about fixing these problems? So I'm going, to, I'm going to roll back slightly on one of the points, which is really illustrative, because we're the fifth biggest by um, employee number, but we're the 35th, 31st biggest by revenue. And I did a quick... It's comp- very high in, in terms of 168,000. <laughs> it is, but if you take someone like Save the Children, who's the second biggest by yeah. employee numbers, I think they're the third biggest by um, revenue. Right. So their per employee revenue is £57,000. I see, okay, yeah, of course. For Mencap, it's £24,000. <clears> so it makes a huge difference into the amount of money. So there, your point about there isn't much cash, there isn't hardly any cash to spare. So how do you then build up a, a data strategy or how do you deal with data? Well, my experience of working in an organisation where I knew all the pieces, every single bit, the training, the users, the developments, the databases, how data helped the lifeblood of an organisation work, because we traded data as a, as a headhunting firm, it was essential, is you have to get hold of the ecosystem and make it work. And to be honest, I've spent five and a half years just almost like when you take uh, a brush and you're just piling everything into the middle is building that ecosystem so making the systems work uh, understanding the, the, the data journey from the user experience knowing that the systems that you've got have got accurate data in and build, bringing in people that carry on and push that journey forward so for me it's 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 tapping every touch point I've, I have um, I have a really interesting um, 
conversations with various data people. Data is the, the new world, as everyone says. It's you know, organisations setting up data teams. And traditional IT is often thought of as a, it's nothing to do with it. For me, they're essentially all part of an ecosystem. The, the, the technology parts, the, the user devices or the processes, the business applications that, that it sits in and that people use, you have to make it all work together to obviously maximise the use of that data. And so I see them all as part of one big system. You talk about companies building data teams. We've had a number of uh, guests on the show at a very early stage where they have no resource whatsoever and no people who will use volunteers within other organisations to do technical work for them. Yeah. As a larger charity, is that, is that a model that you can tap into as well? I mean, because <laughs> may, maybe people maybe people don't give as much as they as they might have done previously or they've got an affinity to a particular charity but maybe maybe they don't have to give money they can give time and and material rather than than, than money necessarily i you've touched on something that for me has been um it's been a, a, a bit of a revelation and also it's something i'm trying to tap into massively so the phrase that i often use uh, if I, I meet somebody at various events or corporates or contacts or even in my own team, ask them to do the same thing, is to go, look, we're not asking you for money, but we, what we really want is your time and your technical skills. So the pro bono route or, or in the corporate social responsibility elements of what particularly large corporates do, we've had some real successes and some, not just successes for them, but for the people that are doing it, that actually the time that they're giving up, it they feel that it's worthwhile. And mm -hmm. it's one of the biggest differences for me between working in a corporate and working in a, a charity. And it's slightly cliched, but it, you know that purpose of why you're doing it um, is really different. And it comes across in the people that work in charities, but also, as you mentioned, you know the people who come and do the pro bono work, they feel like they're making an impact. You do feel like you, I mean, there's, in fact, as a matter of fact, you categorically are making an impact. I remember arguing with my old FD at uh, the previous charity because when I first joined I was furious about something that hadn't worked well and I was not happy about the the quality of what the team had delivered and she said oh you need to basically in, in a nutshell she's trying to lower your, lower your standards and expectations a little bit and I was going but I used to make millionaires out of people that I worked for before using tech here I'm demonstrably making a difference to somebody's lives so why would I want a lower quality of work mm. I want a higher quality of work so I think it's, it's really important that they've tapped into that and when they come and work with us and they see that impact, it, it, it matters. And yeah. I think that's happening a, a lot more. There's a, I don't want to use the millennials term or people talking about the different generational types, but I do think it, we, we are seeing a shift in how people view going to work and having an impact to what you're doing, that it's not just about the profit. And so, yeah, we've... we've exploited it I guess, tapped into it, I don't know how you describe it, but we've had some really good success and I'm not going to, just for various marketing purposes, I'm going to mention some of the names of the corporates that we've got involved with. One of them I can because it's gone more public now, which is great, which is the Vodafone partnership we've worked mm -hmm. with, but there's some others in the pipeline which are doing some fantastic work with us and yeah, pro bono. Last question, touching or going back to a point that we made earlier. Um, before we hit record, you were talking about Microsoft and how they have a, a tech for good drive at the moment. But because the sector is so large, mm. 
you know, it's too broad for them to, to try and help everybody. Yeah. Could the charity sector themselves help each other? Because you, you whilst you're whilst you're in a very broad space, you all have similar challenges in terms of resources. Is there something that you could do as a, as a community to help each other? Yeah, I, and it's a really it's a really topical point. And Microsoft themselves, you know, I shout it out for the record, having worked with Microsoft personally for over twenty five years with their products. I started out training their products in, in many many years ago in the early nineties. The shift that they've gone through and how they've worked in the ten years I've had in the sector has been. I mean, it's properly monumental. And there's some really great people now within the Microsoft tech, uh, tech for Good space. And they've had the same question and they're asking the same question now of people in the charity leadership roles about how we can maximize their value and return because they can only concentrate on so many. And it's not just giving out cheap or free licenses. And it's, a, it's what we talked about earlier in terms of the bit that a lot of organizations struggle with and charities are no uh, different is resources. You could have a free license, but if you don't use the product itself, what's the point? Mm. So yeah, actually, there's been instances where people have used free licenses from Microsoft, or sorry, got free licenses from Microsoft, but they just can't make the use of it. So what Microsoft are doing a lot more now is that engagement to, and in fact, they've changed their targets to go to utilization. So it's not like selling boxes. They're going, how are the stuff that we're giving, and we have to internally charge back, to Microsoft, how are people using that technology? So we're working more closely on that. And then the question I think from Microsoft and ourselves is can we filter that down to other charities? Almost that play it forward type mm. concept. But yeah, it's a, it's a real dilemma. And it goes back to what we talked about at the beginning of it's a massive sector and there's the variety in it is as vast and deep as any commercial sector. So Some interesting challenges. Indeed. <laughs> Look, I really appreciate you giving up some time on a Friday afternoon, Vincent, and, and coming no, on and speaking all. to us. Uh, so thank you for coming in. And lovely to meet you and uh, put a face to the voice that I've been <laughs> listening to for, for all this time. Oh dear, probably a disappointment. Anyway. <laughs> thank you very much. Did you know that there were 168,000 charities in the UK? I had no idea that there were that many. It sounds like a yeah. big number, right? And that's just in the UK, right? Yeah. I mean, I know that obviously there are going to be a lot of charities. But that number still sounds extraordinarily high. I know, it's like how many different charities, there must be so many different charities about the same things though, surely. I yeah, guess. it does kind of make you wonder how they all survive. Because there are the certain big charities that everyone's aware of, like Cancer Research, mm. um, the, the NSPCA, obviously, Save the Children, all of those kind of charities that you kind of spring to mind fairly quickly. Yeah. But, there must be millions, well, not millions, hundreds of thousands. That you've just never heard of. <laughs> that you've never heard yeah. of. That must really find it difficult. Uh, and when a company like Mencap comes on, sorry, not a company, a charity like mm. Mencap comes on the podcast and says, you know what, we're the fifth biggest by employee, but only the 31st biggest by revenue, and they're a well-known name, Yeah. it points out how challenging it must be for so many different charities. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And just like the cost of running a charity when you're so unknown to so many people, like if you're not touched by that specific cause, I guess, mm. how else would you find out about them? Yeah. If they've not got a marketing budget like that as well. And I, I found the stat that 97% of their income comes through local government contracts. 
not shocking. Shocking is the wrong word. It implies that I somehow think that's wrong. And I understand <laughs> that, you know, they are performing really fantastic work. But I thought they would have had more support from the public. Mm. Yeah, because to, to be honest, before I sort of met up with Vincent, I'd not heard so much about Mencap compared right. to a lot of the larger tar- charities. But but they were a name you were familiar with. Yeah, right? like I'd heard them, but I didn't necessarily know about the, all the work that they were doing. Um, with like education and everything and all the government contracts that they have to get in order to be so successful yeah. but. but I suppose it is that thing you know he said that not that many people know about learning disabilities not that many people know someone necessarily who has learning disabilities mm. um, everyone knows someone who's had cancer I yeah. think these yeah. days and it stands to reason that whilst it's not wrong as he points out animals children and cancer tend to get the bulk of the money yeah, and it's because well, you see in need animals on all these adverts and things, don't you? And donkeys. Just, yeah, always the donkeys. donkey charities yeah. and the dog charities, and it just tugs. It's, it's at the your donkeys in particular that my wife is like, we have to donate now. Yeah, I, I remember seeing we were in like back in school years ago, and we would always try and like campaign for a charity to do, and the donkey charity would always be one of the top charities that people would come up yeah. with. Yeah. What is it about donkeys? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe Mencap should get a donkey. Anyway, bad, that's a bad idea. Uh, right. What I also found fascinating was his point about when resources are tight but you're making an impact, getting told that you have to lower your expectations must be thoroughly infuriating. Yeah, fine. If you work for a corporate and that corporate is trying to make money, you want to do a good job. Mm. But when you're working for something that you're genuinely passionate about, lowering your expectations is the reverse of what you want it to be. And that, that must just be so infuriating. Yeah, especially when you're doing so, so much good for people and just like the general world, but then you're being told that you can't have the best because you're so constrained by money. But yeah, big corporates, and they're just made to make money, right? Mm. And they get the best. It's, it seems unfair. I mean, you, you, like I, probably get tapped up for loads of donations from people doing stuff. But would you donate time to a charity that you were, that you cared about? I think if it yeah if it was something that I really cared about, I think I definitely would. Um, yeah, I think so. And because then it feels like you're getting more involved rather than just saying, "Oh, here, take my money, mm. do what you want with it," and you can feel like you're really doing something to help the actual charity and the people, animals, whatever it may be. And look, we, we had um, we had uh, a, a podcast interview quite a while ago now with Danny Witter, who was talking about this model um, tech, tech for good kind of giving where companies could donate some of their profits to charity. So instead of necessarily having to raise, mm. like if you're um, a sales firm of some kind and you've got commission on a hundred different deals, like you give away the commission for two of those deals directly to charities a byproduct. So instead yeah. of going out and constantly raising, fundraising, that's one nice way of giving. Yeah. But I can totally understand how pro bono work in particular um, is so crucial. And again, linking it back to, to another podcast that we had, we had um, uh, Avril from... Uh, Cancer Central who basically built who has built an entire platform through people volunteering their time yeah that's incredible I think I think that's great and yeah especially given it's not this isn't like I'm going to go and like help paint a, a, a cricket club dressing room which is yeah. stuff that I've done this is like people building AI platforms yeah and everyone is using like all their websites and things so it's long lasting investment really yeah. isn't it 
Yeah. The other point, Microsoft making a positive pitch to charities, looking at utilisation and how it can help the whole sector. Nice, nice plug for Microsoft. Yeah, that's good for them, wasn't it? It was slightly unexpected. Like, you know, we we're so negative about big tech all the time that when someone turns around and goes, you know what, this this really large conglomerate's doing a good thing, you kind of go, oh, well, that, that reaffirms my faith in the world slightly. Yeah, no, I agree. It's good that they're doing something, especially because they've got so much money and influence to get involved and help out smaller charities that really need it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's great. And I think it was great that Vince alluded to the fact that they were begin- that Mencap were beginning to look at how that flowed down through the sector as a whole, um, which suggests that it is a community. Yes, it's this broad church, but they're all facing similar challenges around resource and they can pool and help each other. Yeah, yeah, help each other out. Like, you're doing good work. Mm. Cool. Well, look, Vince, uh, thank you for coming on the show. I know he's someone that's listened to the show for a while, so hopefully this lives up to expectations. Yeah, I hope uh, so. <laughs> I hope he's not disappointed with our post-match analysis, so to speak. But no, <laughs> Vince, thank you very much for coming on the show. Uh, we're going to go to a quick advert break. Uh, stay tuned. When uh, we come back, I will launch straight into a chat with Sebastian from Market Minds about an upcoming event next Thursday that you could attend in the city. Once a month, Tech Talks opens The Tuck Shop, a YouTube tech news roundup, which is kindly carried by Disruptive Live. Disruptive Live is the UK's first and only 24-7 TV channel for the technology industry. Stay up to date with all the latest industry news by following our regular talk shows broadcast live across the Disruptive Live website and social media channels. You can also catch Disruptive Live at some of the largest global technology events, broadcasting from London, Manchester, Singapore, Dubai, and many more. So we're having a quick chat with Sebastian, uh, someone that we met about a year ago, uh, and we're talking to again because your event, uh, Insurance 3.0, has come round again. Uh, I notice on your website it talks about it being Insurance 3.0 Part 2. Yeah. Um, took a leaf out of Star Wars's book there. Um, just thought it'd be good to have it more episodic, but, um, um, yeah, I mean, we basically rebranded and, uh, we used to be the London InsureTech conference. Um, since we're a bit more global now, we wanted to call it something different. So last year we were 3.0 this year, part two, next year, part three, and then who knows, maybe insurance 4.0 after that. Um, it does, it yeah. does give you, you can, you can, you can play around with it, but not ultimately change the brand it's quite nice i like it i like it so um Thank you. Thank you, you, you market it as the world's largest one day insurtech conference yeah and looking at the website you've got some great speakers lined up for this year um you know chairman of and ceo of the convex group uh chief growth officer at slice yeah uh, capital partners some some recognizable names there certainly so it should be some interesting insight what are you most looking forward to though of, of all of those maybe not people but themes what do you think is really going to strike a chord and be interesting this year definitely artificial intelligence so yeah. last year was blockchain that was kind of our main theme you might remember we did a sort of quite a sort of theatrical uh, courtroom drama about blockchain uh, which was great and um I think this year we really wanted to just focus on AI and a lot of the companies who are doing keynotes and uh, speaking on panels have a grasp of AI or a grasp of data because ultimately we think the insurance sector is all about data and portfolio management and you know 
using smart machine learning tools to to start pricing risk differently. Um, it's such an important uh, new tool, and of course, it's a it's a game changer in business generally. Uh, but I think because of the wealth of data in the insurance sector, uh, some of the companies uh, operating in that space are are really uh, advancing quite quite fast, and it's it's very exciting. So if you're interested in tech, if you're interested in AI, it's and of course insurance. You know, it's absolutely uh, what the main theme of the event is about. So be a good place for that. So uh, out of interest, how how do you see that kind of moving the industry forward? And in my mind, it's always been a case that if you've got a huge amount of personal data and you combine that possibly with IoT and and five G you can track how someone drives. And instead of, you know, instead of these very um, stereotypical uh, labels of going, right, someone's just passed their driving test, we're going to assume they're high risk. Maybe you look at the way that they drive and you crunch that data with other aspects you know about them and go, actually, they, they deserve a lower premium. Is it stuff like that? Or is, it a step, is there a step change that it's not just it's not just intelligent insurance, but changing insurance. Yeah, it's a step change. It's changing insurance. I mean, step one absolutely was the telematic side of things. Um, I mean, insurance is really about transferring data. Uh, you know, a broker will talk to an insurer or, or an underwriter and, and try and, you know, gather get a good deal for their clients using data that they've got. And ultimately, with the world changing as it is, and different types of businesses owning data sets, they are in a stronger position to analyze and look at different uh, products and pricing that could be relevant to, let's say, a new market like the sharing economy which or cyber. Um, and un- fundamentally, technology is a great opportunity to, to understand and gather large amounts of data you really do need something like AI to really crunch it and make sense of it and make you know make it useful and, and make it valuable for business. So um, there's a huge change happening in the insurance sector. And I think the advances that will be made in data by artificial intelligence in insurance will ultimately uh, have a huge effect on financial services generally. So um, it is a week on Thursday, which yep. is... Let me just make sure I've got this right. That's the 3rd of October, right? It is. It is indeed, yeah. In Shoreditch? In, it's actually uh, in near Bank Station. It's One Moorgate Place. One Moorgate Place. Okay, so yeah. it's, changed, it's changed venues from last year. Yep, it has. We want to keep changing venues. We'll probably go somewhere new next year. We, we just we like moving around. It's fun. Um, yep. And, yeah, so it, but very much the same vibe, relaxed, informal, Bloody Marys as you come in. Uh, a couple of musicians knocking around and, uh, you know, very relaxed, but, you know, it's very focused on networking, as, as you know, and uh, lots of different tracks going on. So it's, it's a very buzzy, high energy um, event. And we really, really welcome people from outside the industry, uh, especially uh, around fintech and artificial intelligence, you know, because there's a huge connection between yeah, that and the insurance sector. Yeah. So, look, if someone is interested in coming along to the event, what, what are the key bits that they need to know? Um, key bits you need to know are uh, there are about uh, seven to seven hundred to a thousand people come every year. Um, there are uh, pitching startups all day long. Uh, so if you're interested in that, you can come and see some of the best pitches in the insurance sector, insurtech uh, specifically uh, presenting. Uh, we've got some amazing keynotes like Revolut talking about how they actually 
had to rebrand and hire new talent um, as a result. Um, and then we've got some of the leading artificial intelligence and sure techs uh, speaking as well. And the number one entrepreneur in insurance globally, Stephen Catlin, talking about his new venture where he's just raised a record amount of money for any insurance company yet. And he's talking about why he's going to change the game. So it's great fun. The networking is brilliant. Um, and it's, it's a great opportunity to, to actually learn and make some new contacts if you're interested in advancing your career in this, in this space. Look, last quick thing, your, your conference organizer, uh, you, you've pulled this together and, and grown it from nothing. The night before a conference, what stresses you out the most and what's your advice to someone else trying to put on an event? Um, definitely the thing that stresses me out the most is food and right. arriving on time because that has happened before and I've never had more complaints about the food than for anything else. Um, so stressed about the catering and my advice would be get a really, really, really early night um, <laughs> and just delegate all the stuff you 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 really don't like doing. Uh, I, lo- I love I love that. Although the, the the agenda is brilliant and you've got fantastic speakers, probably any conference the world over, if people are hungry, they're not they're not going to be happy. They are not going to be happy, and you know, also napkins. <laughs> We've had complaints about not enough napkins, so you know, it's these attention to detail. Unfortunately, is absolutely critical. <laughs> Look, I'm sure I'll be fine. I was there last year. I thought there were enough napkins, so I'm sure you're on top of it. <laughs> Thank Look, you, David. Good luck. Uh, hopefully loads of people do go along. It was a fantastic conference last year. I'm sure this year's will be too. Thanks for spending a bit of time to chat with us. Thank you very much for the time and the opportunity to come on Tech Talks. Thanks, David.